Chelsea Fairless and welcome to a Sex in the City rewatch episode. We will be talking about the iconic episode A Woman's Right to Shoes. Great title by the way. One of the best. Now we don't have a call requesting this but I know people want this episode. Yeah it's such an iconic Sex in the City episode although I was surprised it was in season six. I don't know how I forgot about this. I was like looking for it in season four. I think it's the best of both worlds because it's giving the hard-hitting tone of like a my mother bored myself which is from season four but then also it's one of the funnier episodes as well yeah it's a nice balance of the two i knew it was in season six but i couldn't find exactly where it was i was like can't be pre-burger because they're together in the early part of season six and you know this is rough for carrie she's coming off the burger posted breakup Charlotte getting married, her having a jackhammer sex with Harry's best man, and now this indignity? It's been a rough few episodes for Carrie. So this episode opens with a montage of Carrie buying gifts at the same department store over the course of, like, years, clearly. Wait, you think this is happening over years? I assume that it was over a weekend or something, or several weekends, because Carrie begins this episode saying, the single New Yorker's weekend is all about buying the latest Vogue, fresh flowers, and gifts for previously single New Yorkers. You think that's all different people? I thought that was everything she's bought for Tatum O'Neill throughout the entirety of their friendship. But her hair doesn't change. I mean, it's still like season six Carrie hair. They can't put her in wigs. Like, come on. I had always assumed that this was just her buying stuff for different people over several weekends. Listener, let us know what you Yeah, thought. what do you guys think? I think Lauren's wrong. <laughs> Clearly. I was born in exactly the right time because the idea of having to go in person to ask a human being for someone's registry and then negotiate what's left instead of clicking through their online registry seems miserable. Agreed. Also, have you tried going into a store and buying something recently? Oh, it's hell on earth. Yeah, I went to a Sur La Table to get a coffee machine because I was looking online and it just was too many choices. So I was like, I'm going to go in store and whatever is in the store, that's what I'm going to buy. And I settled on a machine and they went, we don't have that in stock. You can order it online. What the fuck is the point of going in store if they don't have it in stock? They had a display one. The only reason to go into a store is if you've bought something online and you're picking it up. Like I did that yesterday at CB2. God, love an online registry. Although I feel like with our generation, no one really has wedding registry or baby registries anymore. If you're a millennial getting married, it's like, you know what? We've lived together for years. We already have all our shit. Donate to maybe our honeymoon or something. I still have to buy people shit all the time. What are you talking about? I don't know. You know what I think about brick and mortar retail? It's like when you see a listing for an estate sale and they take pictures of all the good stuff. And then when you show up to the estate sale, (laughs) it's the worst things are left. Right. That's what like going into a cause store is. (laughs) 
Although, to be fair, it would make sense that Carrie is a last-minute registry purchaser, which is why she is left with very hooey items. Right. So cut to Stanny and Carrie in the freight elevator. They're talking about the gifts that they bought. And it's revealed that Carrie purchased a Marlo Thomas CD, Free to Be You and Me. And only during this rewatch did I realize that there have been so many goddamn Marlo Thomas references in this show. Because that was the big name guest that Samantha was teasing to fry or fuck along with former U.S. President Donald Trump. Yeah, obviously Marlo Thomas had a big impact on Daddy MPK. That's the only answer. So they arrive at the apartment. It's a shoes-off apartment, which I do get more in New York, right? Everyone walks everywhere. It's grimy. But if you're wearing the wrong outfit, Having to take your shoes off does feel like an act of violence that's been committed upon you. Well, I was going to ask your thoughts on a shoes off party, because personally, if I'm having people over, it's like, fuck it. But if you are a shoes off household, like my friend Jenny Yang, when she has parties, she's got a shoes off household. But she tells you up front, because as Carrie says, you need to know if you won't have your shoes with you. Because then you can compensate with like a hat or something. If you're wearing flats, it's fine. But if you're wearing heels, then that fucks up the whole proportion of your outfit. You're like, oh, I wouldn't have worn this giant voluminous dress if I knew I would have to take off my stilettos. Carrie's outfit is kind of bonkers to begin with, but the shoes do tie it all together, which is, I imagine, very purposeful for what is about to happen to Carrie. They're at a party, a baby shower? A welcome the baby? The baby's already born. Tatum O'Neill, her friend, has had her third child. And I love how this character is described as a photographer who is famous for taking pictures of anorexic actresses on beds at the Chelsea Hotel. Very specific. Who then pivoted to taking photos of babies in flower pots. So is the Nan Golden to Ann Getty's pipeline real? (laughs) I would like to think so. I mean, it's it's obviously satirizing a concept of a downtown figure who was very edgy, who then becomes very not. Yeah, has to do some ad jobs, you know, no judgment. I don't know anyone that has pivoted from documentary and fashion photography to in-studio baby portraits, but whatever. Love this as an idea of a person. Throughout the run of Sex and the City, it's always fun to see, one, episodes that have guest stars, but the choice of are they playing themselves or are they not famous enough to play themselves and they're instead playing a character? So Tatum O'Neill's playing Kira Bronson. Can we just call her Tatum O'Neill? Yeah, I'm I'm never going to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. This does feel like one of the most iconic villains yeah. <laughs> throughout the course of this series, and she plays it so well. I think not since Nina Katz in the face has Carrie met such a foe. <laughs> this party seems terrible. I, I'm completely on Carrie and Stanford's side, where it's like once it strikes midnight and they're talking about... Billy Joel basically 86ing them from any restaurant they'd want to go to in the Hamptons. I too would make a yawn and be like, I gotta go. Except for Carrie's excuse is really funny. She's like, you know, it's midnight and Stanford's gay, so he has to start his night. Does Stanford seem like he's having a late night? I think those days are behind him. No, he still goes to underwear parties and stuff. I don't think he's doing it like 
every night from like Thursday to Sunday, but right. I think he goes out. They go to leave, but are unable to because Carrie cannot find her Manolos. And Tatum O'Neill is like, you know, I'll look for them, but like not very concerned. Yeah, which I would be mortified. Yeah, if someone's shoes got stolen from my house, absolutely. A little too blasé, which I don't know when in this episode we want to get into who we think stole Carrie's shoes. My first thing would be like, who's fucking plus one stole my friend's shoes? I'd be making a mental list of plus ones and like ranking them by likelihood of committing crimes. I would immediately think it was Tatum O'Neill. She's too blasé about the losing the Manolos from the get-go. Meanwhile, Miranda is at her co-op board meeting. The timing of this doesn't exactly make sense, by the way. (laughs) Really wild, but sure. I'm sure everyone in this co-op has very different schedules, so maybe it is a nocturnal co-op meeting. A co-op board seems like a nightmare. However, it does feel like an environment where Miranda would thrive. Yeah, and she does seem to be dominating this meeting. As she should. This bitch is like keeping time. Enter Dr. Robert Leeds, played by Blair Underwood, devastatingly handsome. And Miranda is obviously super horny for him immediately. How can you not? They have a very cliche Mets versus Yankees conversation, which is one of the worst parts about living in New York, honestly. He's a doctor for the Knicks, which that's her intro of like, oh my God, you guys are having a great year, to which he's like, you're not watching the Knicks, obviously. So Miranda, because she would like to get laid, wants to push Robert through the co-op board and no one's really going with it. So Miranda... Miranda, which would love to know how Che Diaz would feel about this situation, uses the idea that they're all racist. To gaslight her neighbors into letting him buy an apartment in their building. Yeah, because they're concerned about his financials and the fact that he's never owned property. And she's like, there's something that we're not talking about. I love that Cynthia Nixon, as Miranda in this scene, chooses to use her like haughty Miranda voice. It's a different tone she takes of like, I think we all know what's what's not being said here. See, that's the Miranda I want in in just like that. Absolutely. I want that boss bitch. <laughs> that's Miranda being an ally in the right way, not the way she was with her professor in season one. Cut to... A lunch scene with the girls. Yes, Carrie mourns her Manolos, which I do want to ask, how do you feel about these shoes? Because they're not the best pair of Manolo Blahniks. You know what? I actually quite like them. All right. I like them more in the outfit that she wears at the end of the episode, like with the cargo pants, than I do in the outfit where they're first presented. But I think... A classic jeweled Manolo, it's kind of cheesy, but then it's kind of campy and it goes back to being good again, if that makes any sense. Like, it's so trad that it kind of ends up being chic. And subversive, yeah. Yeah. I love that Miranda uses her lawyerly knowledge to be like, legally, it's her responsibility to pay you back. If I was in Carrie's situation, I don't think I would come to her for money. I do love Samantha's attempt at an analogy, which is if you made her leave her baby out in the hallway and that baby went missing, she'd be upset. Yeah, Samantha is so good in this episode. I mean, as someone who doesn't have children, I'm not going to say that I fully stand by Samantha's analogy, but... I kind of get what she's trying to say here. Absolutely. And in this scene, we get one of Samantha's greatest quotes, I think. 
I am so sick of these people with their children. I'm telling you, they're everywhere. Sitting next to me in first class, eating at the next table at John Shook. Look at that. This place is for double cappuccinos, not double strollers. They are everywhere. They are everywhere. And this is a rare non-diner brunch scene. It's set at what I believe is Jean George. I believe that's what Samantha is trying to say when she's rudely interrupted by a child. But I think it's to highlight the point that it's not great when kids are being kids in really expensive restaurants. There's a time and a place for a rug rat. And there's certain kind of restaurants where it's appropriate to bring children versus others. Like, I'm not a monster. I don't think that people with kids shouldn't be able to go out and eat. But I just think that if you're in certain places, and also it depends on what kind of rug rat you have. Really what they are objecting to is people that use public spaces as a free babysitter instead of minding their child. The one that really gets me is pools at hotels. This would bother you. You love a pool at a hotel. I do. And I do think that like, sure, it's fine if there's not a kids only pool. It's like, sure, bring your kids into the pool with everyone else. But don't just sit there reading the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo and like not watch your kid while they're doing literal cannonballs into the pool. I don't want to make this just a kids thing because I just have an issue in general when people treat public spaces as their own private space. Like when people are too loud in restaurants. Yeah. The public FaceTiming is also becoming an issue where people are like full on FaceTiming people while eating in restaurants. I don't like that either. Although I think it's acceptable for a set amount of time. And that time is like one minute. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, like I don't mind if someone answers a call if it's a minute long call. Or if they acknowledge like, sorry, it's my mom. She's sick. Yeah. Just some idea that you are aware that there are other people here. (sighs) Um, Samantha has a lot of great lines in this scene, including those shoes are not showing up anywhere but a pawn shop in Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we obviously know Samantha's stance on children, but Miranda (laughs) reveals that she doesn't like children except her own child. Whereas Charlotte thinks that all children are beautiful, which is a terrible take, in my opinion. Absolutely an unhinged take. I will say that my mom falls on the Miranda side of things, which I do appreciate, which is like, ugh. We've all met an evil little rug rat at some point. Yes, and as Miranda says, mommy needs two hands to eat her $8 cake. So Charlotte's issue for the episode is that there's a bit of a teabag situation, which Samantha counsels her and she says, just breathe through your nose, which really places this in like 2004, the idea that like teabagging is like the hot sexual thing to do. But the timing is perfect when she's like, you know, when you're sucking his balls. (laughs) Ooh, no. And Charlotte's like, bitch, I'm talking about literal teabags that Harry has been leaving all around their apartment. The one that she swindled Bunny McDougal out of. Does Harry strike you as a tea drinker? I was about to say that. What American heterosexual man drinks this much tea? I will only believe it if we get a storyline in season two where Harry is obsessed with his matcha setup. I can see that. But it's not just the literal tea bags. It's the fact that he's also like a nudist. Well, yes, she goes home and kindly confronts Harry about the tea bag situation. And he admits that he's really been trying to be on his shit because he knows that this is her place. And it's like, it's not her place. It's not your place. If anything, it is the house of the McDougal family. (laughs) At what point did Trey and Bunny find out 
that Charlotte and her divorce lawyer are living in their apartment. It's so good. Uh, All of these lost storylines that would be so funny to see. But Charlotte wants to not be so rigid. I did see a little bit of myself in this storyline. And she wants Harry to be himself. And evidently, Harry's true self is a nudist, which... I guess, tracks. If you're in love with your husband, like, shouldn't you not mind if they walk around naked? His walking around naked isn't just from the shower and I need to grab a water bottle. It's a full-time lifestyle. He is answering emails while nude. I guess I might just have a similar experience to Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Is Tad a nudist? Kind of, yeah, actually. I'm not at all, like... I like prefer the feeling of clothes when I'm doing simple domestic tasks. Call me crazy. I always remember this quote from Tom Ford because I was obsessed with Tom Ford where he was talking about how he thinks that people look better nude and that we should actually always be nude. And since the day I read that, honestly, to now I've been like, no. I don't believe that he believes that. Yeah, I think he was just trying to be a fashion design edgelord by saying that. Yeah, like this motherfucker is walking around like he's Naomi Wolf or something. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to see if uh, Tom Ford still has that same belief now that he has a young child. Back to the episode. Miranda runs into Dr. Robert Leeds in the elevator and he discovers that she's got a chicken pock. A chicken pock? Just a pock? I know, I was confused because it's chicken pox, but he's like, you got a pock. I don't know that much about diseases. (laughs) I never had chicken pox growing up. Did you? Yeah, of course I had chicken pox. You didn't? No. Oh my God. This could like really fuck you up. Do you see a pock on me? I don't see a pock, but I'm just scared. Like if you do have a child and they get chicken pox, like you're the one that's going to be fucked. Oh my God. This Miranda future awaits me. Are we saying Dr. Robert Leeds? Are we calling him Robert? We got to make a choice here. Dr. Robert Leeds, his full ass name. Some people are full name people and Dr. Robert Leeds is one of them. He follows Miranda into her apartment and Magda takes the baby from Miranda and she's seen rolling her eyes at Miranda and Robert and is that because she's vaguely racist or she's like a ride or die for Steve or both she also just seems like kind of a bitch no we love Magda like it seems like she just has backwards attitudes about like unmarried people like having sexuality just in general that dates back all the way to the uh, the origins of Magda. So now we have Carrie returning the sneakers as a sort of passive-aggressive move with Kira to see if the sneakers have shown up. And Kira delivers maybe one of the most infuriating responses, which is, oh my God, I forgot all about that. And then like Carrie like keeps pressing her and she finally figures out like, oh, like I should probably offer to pay for the shoes. Yes. And so Carrie comes in, she makes her take off her shoes again, which is like, okay, that's rude. If I were Carrie, I'd be holding them in one hand. And then she's like, so Carrie, how much were the shoes? To be fair, Carrie's like, you don't have to offer me money. But she is there. She stays there for a long time until Kira offers to pay her for the shoes. This is the most infuriating conversation. Let's just drop the audio here. So, um, how much were they? Uh, 485. Come on, Carrie. That's insane. Well, that's what they cost. I'll give you $200. Okay, this is an awkward conversation. I'm sorry, I just think that's crazy to spend that much on shoes. You know how much Manolas are? You used to wear Manolas. Sure, before I had a real life. 
But Chuck and I have responsibilities now. Kids, houses. 485. Like, wow. I have a real life. No offense, Carrie, but I really don't think we should have to pay for your extravagant lifestyle. I mean, it was your choice to buy shoes that expensive. Yes, but it wasn't my choice to take them off. My response to Kira would be like, hey, hey, that's a pretty big loft in what? Soho? Tribeca? She also states that she has houses, plural. So at the very least, she has another house in the Hamptons, based on their story from the party. Um, and three, it's your stupid rules for the house to take off shoes. Like, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. The stupidest part is the fact that she's like, I can't pay for your shoes because I have multiple houses. Yes! And that is such a fucking slap in the face. Like, yes, Carrie is a property owner by season six, but still. What is $484 to someone that, like, yes, has multiple properties? I always think about the line where she's like, I don't think we should have to pay for your extravagant lifestyle. And this reminded me of a story from a few years ago where a friend of mine's boyfriend's very specific dog breed got sick and he had a GoFundMe and we all donated. But the dog died before he could have the surgery that we all donated the GoFundMe <laughs> to. No, no, no. That's not the part I'm insulted by. <laughs> then weeks later... Sorry, it's not funny when a dog dies. I'm not, terrible, but continue. Then weeks later, he started another GoFundMe so that he could buy that very expensive specific breed of dog that he wanted all of us to pay for. That is paying for someone else's extravagant <laughs> lifestyle. No, that's fucked up. I did not donate to that GoFundMe. Everyone's out here having like fucked up GoFundMes these days. Yeah, and that New York Magazine etiquette issue from a couple months back, where was that of like, what is the right amount of GoFundMes you're obligated to donate to a year? Five? Also, I feel like there are so many people that do them for artistic projects that like could just pay for it. Which is why I'm just asking all the fuckettes to donate $5 so that I can make my film. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, they're already financing your movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we get the brilliant Carrie line that she got shoe shamed. We also get the brilliant line from Miranda. She's a fucking bitch. <laughs> She is a fucking bitch. She's had two cesareans and a lobotomy. <laughs> Genius writing. There's so many banger lines in this episode. And that's where we get the title of the show, A Woman's Right to Shoes. Because Carrie's point is like, you know how much Manolo's cost. You used to buy them. And Tatum O'Neill's point is like, well, yeah, of course I did before I had to pay for all of this. And again, I say, you too live an extravagant lifestyle. There's no way that you don't also buy expensive clothing and shoes. Yeah, having three children in Manhattan is an extravagant lifestyle. Miranda has chicken pox, but it's all okay because there's a Jules in Mimi marathon going on. And is this the first time we hear of Jules and Mimi? No, when she got her TiVo, that was probably the first time. Yes. Regardless, the insanity of the writers seeding an interracial show within the show to foreshadow Miranda and Robert is insane. I agree, but I do think there is a very big comedic payoff when Robert comes over after she gets off the phone with Carrie and sits down with her to watch Jules and Mimi and they're watching Jules and Mimi fuck and I think we've all had some equivalent experience of this 
where you watch something with someone that is too close to home for whatever reason. Or just watching a sex scene with your parents or something like that. It's wild, and I guess we should have seen this coming with And Just Like That, but the addition of Blair Underwood in the show was their response in part to how predominantly white the show was up until that point. And the way that they chose to remedy that, again... (laughs) is so crazy. Love Robert. Think he's an amazing character. Want a whole Robert show. Also, we're really overlooking Robert's impeccable menswear look. I think this might be the best non-Stanford Blatch men's outfit on the entirety of this show. It's almost like a knit polo, but it almost feels a little threadbare. And then he has like a wife beater under it. And then like a kind of high-waisted pair of slacks or like khakis or something. It's like a 1950s outfit. And I think with guys, it's so easily like dressing that way can lean into preppy, but this isn't preppy. Like this is as classic as it gets. Or whatever Charlie Sheen looked like on Two and a Half Men with those like 1950s bowling shirts. I do not know what you speak of. Can we jump back to Carrie? Sure. Carrie laments to Miranda, is it bad that my life is filled with shoes and not children? The last episode we covered, which was Carrie trying to buy back her apartment, and this episode is so funny to watch as millennial adults because I think in both regards, there is a bit of millennial arrested development just by experiencing two unprecedented financial catastrophes in our young life. Even when I hear that my friends are having children, I do have a brief moment of like, but we're too young to be having children. And then I realize we're in our mid thirties. Yeah. Then I realize it's like, oh, TikTok. Like <laughs> we're going into perimenopause soon. Oh my God. I know if I have a child very soon, it's going to be considered geriatric pregnancy. Yep. And before people leave comments, that is the medical term. Don't blame us. Yeah. Don't shoot the messenger guys. Blame the patriarchal medical community. <laughs> Shall we get into the I couldn't help but wonder? When we were young, Marlo Thomas sang to us about accepting each other and our differences. But then we got older and started singing a different tune. We stopped celebrating each other's life choices and started qualifying them. Is acceptance really such a childish concept? Or did we have it right all along? When did we stop being free to be you and me? Okay, we've said this before, but not her best work. Chell, with every rewatch we do, I'm coming to realize that these are quite bad. Not all, but most. Carrie's life is what she writes into the article, and that's what these voiceovers are. And looking back at everything from Carrie's life that she wrote into her articles, this is the most likely to be a viral, like, New York Magazine article that kind of becomes water cooler talk. Totally. Which I don't even know how much of Kira she puts into the article, but she totally should. Everyone that reads the New York Star knows who she is based on the Nan Golden Ann Getty's descriptor in the beginning of her article. It's funny because how this would actually work is that Carrie would write about that incident of her shoes getting stolen, her friend not paying her back, and that would be the article. Everyone would understand that it's Kira Bronson, that she would just be shamed into buying Carrie her own shoes again. But to bring it back to the I couldn't help but wonder which doesn't have an I couldn't help but wonder, but still. Of course we should accept each other's differences instead of looking to other people to like validate or invalidate our own life choices. Absolutely. But again, I feel like the change between the generation before us and our generation is that I don't 
know that many people that have children. I certainly do. I have a handful of friends, but I don't feel like I get from my friends, one, pressure to have children, but two, an idealized version that having children is the be-all, end-all. More what I hear from my friends is like, this is hard as shit. Please do not do this if you don't absolutely want to do this. Yeah, same. Also, we've discussed this before. I forget what episode we were talking about, but... This is another one of those Sex in the City episodes that addresses the fact that people with kids can be very condescending to single people without kids. Sorry to make this like a generational comparison or, or warfare or something like that, but I think the reason that our generation and Gen Z don't have as much as that societal pressure are shows like Sex in the City that really did highlight how people who made the choice to not get married, not have children were very much othered. Totally. And it advocates for them. And this episode still holds up in every respect. Shocking. One of the least problematic Sex in the City episodes upon rewatch. Yeah, not bad. This is also one of the rare episodes where Carrie cannot let something go. And I'm with her 100% because she calls Kira back after a few days and is like, hey, I really don't like how we left that conversation. And Tatum O'Neill once again is like, oh, I forgot all about that. And when Carrie's like, oh, I didn't. I've been thinking about it for days. And the way that Tatum O'Neill says, man, you must have a lot of time on your hands, made my fucking blood boil. Yeah, I'm about to commit arson if I'm Carrie. <laughs> the whole family is locked in the freight elevator as the building burns down. Oh, I would have gone to their house in the Hamptons and just burned it to the ground. Looks like you only have one home now, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you don't have that second mortgage. I guess you can pay for my Manolo Blahniks. And then she gets distracted by her children and one of them picks up the phone and it's like, is this Santa? <laughs> and then Carrie's like, I realized I am Santa. Does Tasty Delight still exist? Because it's very prominent in the sixth season between Carrie and Charlotte. I'm now realizing it's like, oh, did Tasty Delight pay for product placement? No, I think it was just a really ubiquitous part of New York diet culture for like a decade, but then Pinkberry wiped it out completely. Do you know how shocked I was the last time I visited New York coming down 2nd Avenue to see that 16 Handles in the East Village is still there? Like the idea that a frozen yogurt place I went to with my friend when we were in college still exists. Well, you know what's really crazy is Rice to Riches. Is it a rice? Oh, a rice the pudding, rice pl pudding oh. place in Little Italy. You don't know Rice to Riches? No, we never went, Chelsea. That's crazy that you've never been there. I have heard some rumors that the Every Outfit podcast does not condone that that might be a bit of a front situation. They sell $10 rice pudding. Chelsea, as the Italian-American in this duo I will have to say there is no such thing as the mafia it is just friends helping friends out <laughs> well I'll make sure to go to your family the next time I need to have someone taken out <laughs> you know it Chelsea that's just friends helping friends out <laughs> speaking of friends helping friends out Carrie and Charlotte are walking while eating tasty delight Carrie says over the years I bought Kira an engagement gift a wedding gift then there was the trip to Maine for the wedding three baby gifts in total I have spent over $2,300 celebrating her choices so that's like what $4,500 today in today's money <laughs> and she makes the point that if you're single after graduation you get nothing which is true and like if anyone should get free kitchen appliances it's someone that is not married, does not have children. 
Yeah, another Carrie banger is she says, Hallmark doesn't make a congratulations, you didn't marry the wrong guy card. And then says, where's the flatware for going on vacation alone? Which indicates that Carrie's going on vacation alone. Like, where are you going, Carrie? Yeah, what vacation have you ever gone on in your life except for Mexico and Abu Dhabi? And Paris. Well, she technically moved there to live. There you go. Meanwhile, Samantha is at a restaurant. And some child is eating their pesto. The way the mom says, look at you eating your pesto is so haunting. Let's drop the audio in. Look at you eating your pesto. It's all poor restaurant etiquette. This child is being too loud. If he was a full-grown adult being that loud, I would be equally annoyed. But Samantha is having a full-on conversation in a restaurant, which is not chill either. And that's what prompts this, right? Like, the guy that works there goes up to her and is like, you can't be on your phone. She's like, what are you doing about that? And the waiter's like, well, that's a child. I thought we were going to get, because Samantha curses that the mother was going to be like, could you not curse in front of my child? Which, how do you feel about that? Because we've definitely been to brunch where we've been talking our full selves and then I notice that there's a small child at the next table. What do you think the etiquette is? To control your language or like, fuck it, we're at a boozy brunch and you decide- Fuck it, we're at a boozy brunch. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If your kid can't hang, that's their problem. What if we have kids but our kids hate each other? That would be deeply inconvenient. (laughs) Our kids can't hang. Mommy needs two hands to drink her $18 cocktail in West Hollywood. (laughs) So Samantha decides to take matters into her own hands, which what do you think Samantha's trying to accomplish? Because this is a real proto-Karen argument, right? Because she's like, can you quiet the kid? Yeah, it's nice that Samantha does this because no one ever does. And obviously in the real world, like the mom would be stressed and that would be a different situation but this mom is just a bitch i feel like you can tell when a parent is overwhelmed i think the most times yeah she's not overwhelmed that's what i'm saying you can't say shit to an overwhelmed parent regardless of the situation yeah if a baby's crying on a plane obviously the mom is like i don't want this to be happening either but i think the behavior we're talking about is when people choose to use public spaces as their own private space so the kid throws a fistful of Pesto. Pesto spaghetti at Samantha's beautiful white blazer. A vintage Mugler suit or something like that. Samantha does get bested by a 10-year-old, so I don't know what message we're trying to send with this. Also, she's like, respects him. She's like, I've made my point. He's made, made his. his. Touche. Because Samantha does leave without paying her check. Perhaps she forgot her credit cards at the office. It was like, I gotta get out of here without paying. How do I do this? So this is a rare episode where everyone gets a storyline, but Charlotte kind of has the weaker end of the storyline, which is just Harry's a, a nudist and she cannot stand for it. She's open to it until he decides to put his naked body and really more, I think the problem is his scrotum on her cream chaise lounge. It's upsetting to watch as a viewer, but from Charlotte's perspective, it's hard for me to understand it. Is the inference that like Harry doesn't know how to wipe or something? (laughs) Like with Miranda and Steve, a skid mark situation? Because I've actually heard harrowing stories like that from like quite a few straight girls. I've had terrible dating situations. Wait, with skid marks? No, no, no. I was about to say, thankfully, nothing has to do with hygiene. So I've been lucky in that regard. But as Harry says, oh, 
we've got an ass to white couch situation. So he decides to put clothes on and he's never nude again. You know, let Harry have his moment. He certainly can't be a nudist when they have children. Although everyone has a nudist dad or at least a friend with a nudist dad. And Chell, was that your dad? That literally was my (laughs) dad. Like everyone has seen my dad's dick. It's like (laughs) fucked up everyone not surprisingly we're we're big on clothes in the garoni household (laughs) (laughs) the best was when my dad was taking an outdoor shower and a fan full of like mormons drove up to like try and convert us like kids mom dad like everyone did they even get out of the van or did they just like slowly reverse back down the driveway yeah i forget how it went down so carrie has thought of the perfect revenge which is she's gonna call kira to tell her that she's getting married to herself which is a crazy thing to do if this were happening today and carrie existed she would write an article about the original incident, it would go viral and Kira would feel shamed into buying her well, the shoe. Well, that literally did happen because in this world, everyone that is anyone reads Sex in the City. But do you think Carrie put in the article that she then called this person to say she was marrying herself? Yes. I don't know. I'm just too prideful to do that. No, she had to write about it because it was like throwing the first brick at Stonewall. But for single women standing up to this cold of baby showers and bridal showers and all of that shit that you have to participate in. So Kira buys them at the old Manolo Blahnik store, RIP. Wait, that was then an SJP collection store, but then that closed. So what's in it now? I've just looked it up on Google Maps. And unfortunately, the last updated street view is from September 2021. And it still shows the SJP collection store there. Oh my God. Yeah, I can see all the little shoes through the window. So someone who lives in New York, can you tell us what is in that space? Report back. The button of this episode is a reversal, right? The saleswoman says to Kira to control her children because they don't want them touching the shoes. As someone that's worked in retail and seen some of the moms that come in that don't look after their kids, yes. Justice for this Manolo Blahnik sales associate. And she sends them to Carrie. Carrie opens up her shoes. There is a note. I love the detail that it's not only from Kira, her husband, but all three children as well. And then Carrie puts on her shoes with her cargo pants and like whatever the fuck else she's wearing. Cute, casual Carrie look and gleefully skips down the street. A perfect ending. I always wondered in the world of Sex in the City, when Carrie got married to Big, one was Kira invited. And if so, did she get her a wedding gift? Where was she at Big's funeral? <laughs> Okay, so how many Manolos? You know what? 10. Yeah, I'm giving it 10 too. 10 out of 10. It's a pretty perfect episode. It's one of the greatest episodes. Tatum O'Neill's an incredible addition. Samantha's plotline is hilarious. Kristen Davis can do a lot with nothing, which we've learned from Sex and the City episodes. But the teabagging thing is funny. And iconic in its own right. Yes, and it very much places it in a specific date and time. And Carrie's advocacy for single, child-free women is moving. Carrie walks so that Jennifer Aniston and Chelsea Handler could run. (laughs) If Carrie Bradshaw was still around, she would end up being shit on by Tucker Carlson at some point. Please don't pitch these things because when we do inevitably watch and just like that season two, I'm just going to be running through the storylines we've come up with that are far better. Okay, don't shade them yet. You don't know. Very true. But, you know, season three, can we get Tatum O'Neill back? 
I would love that. She's now divorced and understands the plight of being a single gal. Just throwing it out there. Free ideas, Daddy MPK. All right, guys, that does it for us. We'll be back next week to talk about the Met Gala. I can't wait. Are you excited? Yes. I'm so intrigued whether I will be on this Met Gala episode <laughs> as I'm shooting a film, so... Maybe I'll do a solo pod that's completely unhinged where I just, like, scream into the microphone. Tune in next week to see if Chelsea hits rock bottom. And I suppose if I'll be there when she does it. Bye, fuckettes. Bye, guys. <laughs>